All right, guys, so last, <clears throat> last week what we did is we just kind of went around the room. We had introductions, basically, of kind of where we were spiritually, where we were with Bible study and understanding those kind of things. Um, and I know that everybody's on different levels, and I'm completely fine with that. But I do believe that all of you are going to be able to get something out of this. And I know that some of you guys took Searching for Truth with me. Um, there is a lot of similarities, but you guys need to understand I'm not using those books to, to, to teach this course, okay? Um, so these are things that are coming straight out of my own personal walk and relationship with the Lord um, and just on personal notes that I'm making. So, um, so just to recap, it's funny because on your notes there, the only thing that we actually got through is the very first bullet point, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. That's really as far as we got. So there's a little bit more that I want to give as far as introductory material, and then we're going to break into Genesis, and this is going to happen tonight. So we'll get into the book of Genesis, and I'm going to probably rock your world with some things as we get into Genesis, all right? So uh, here's what we talked about before. We need to understand that when we're talking about the Bible, that it is a spiritual book. Um, it's, not a, it's not a man-written book, and that's what we learned from 2 Peter 1.21. Um, you know, it, which says, for no prophecy was, was, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? So it was the Holy Spirit who did that. Now, we illustrated that by going to the book of Jeremiah, and we saw how the, the king would uh, just take a little pen knife and he would just cut out the things that he didn't like. Um, but God said, well, I'll just give it to you again. And he gave it to Jeremiah again, and he wrote it, wrote it down again. And one of the things that I wanted you guys to understand from that is that the word of God has always been. It's not something that he's making up as we're going along. It's something that he's revealing to us. That's why it's called revelation, right? Uh, revelation is not necessarily new. Revelation just means that it's revealed to you. Ah, that's a revelation to me. Well, that doesn't mean it never existed. That just means you now understand it, right? So um, the, God was doing that same thing through his prophets as he was revealing to them the things of the scripture and those holy men of God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit were writing those things down, okay? So we understand that from cover to cover, the Bible has how many authors? One author, right? How many human authors? How many human authors? And you guys should know this from, basic, uh, from uh, 180. Forty authors, forty different human authors. Uh, what's the time span that that that, that the Bible's written in? <laughs> what's the what's the time frame? Forty different human authors over how long? Six thousand. No. Two thousand. Two thousand year period, right? Many different cultures, right? Uh, all those different time frames. And you think about that, how in the world, like one of the examples that we, that we are constantly using is you can't even take 40 Baptist ministers today and stick them in the same room and then agree on the scriptures. All living in Georgia or in Ackworth. You, you know what I mean? Like that just, it, it doesn't happen. It's hard, it's hard to do that when you're only talking about a human element. But when you talk about a spiritual element and you talk about, you, you talk about the Holy Spirit being the author of those things, 
then you see that congruency that comes not from the man, but from God himself that carries it all the way through, right? So that's basically what we got to last time. I want to go to the second point that you've got there on your sheet, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you guys will, take your Bibles or your apps and, and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to start saying that on Sunday too. Take your Bible apps and turn. But um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, this is such, a, such an impressive thing as we talk about the spiritual discernment. Um, and let me just show you. Let's go up just a little bit in the note in your Bible there and go to um, verse number nine, which is probably a familiar verse to you guys. When it says, but as it is written, what no, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor, uh, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Um, how many of you guys have heard that verse before? Yeah. Um, I think what happens is, is that I hear that preached all the time where people, you know, we, there's no way we can know. It's just, you know, uh, there's no way that we can ever even imagine what God has prepared for us. But the, con the context, and as you look at it in context, that's not the end of the statement. In verse number 10, he comes back and he says, these things God has what? He has revealed them. So yes, in the past, these things were hidden is what he's saying. But now... God has in fact revealed those, but how? He's revealed to us what? Through the Spirit. Okay? For the Spirit searches, um, it says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So when you have the author of the book living inside of you, there is nothing about that book that you cannot know. Because the author will tell you. So when you get into the Bible study or when you get into that time, remember what I said before you open up the Bible, you have a time of prayer and you just ask God, God, I want to see you in a way that I've never seen you before. I want to see me in a way that I've never seen myself before. And Holy Spirit, and it's okay to pray to the Holy Spirit, by the way. Holy Spirit, I want you to teach me. I want you to be what you're promised to be, my guide in the truth. And I want you to open up these words to me and let me understand what's going on. And I'll guarantee you, you better hold on because those are the times that God's gonna really rock your world and say, oh, you really wanna know? You really wanna know? Because listen, I'll be honest with you. Most people today, they don't really wanna know. They're not really trying to find out the truths of the Bible. They've got their little cutesy things that they hold on to, the things that get them through. And, you know, they've got their little verses for all things work together for good to those who love God, except they don't quote that much. Right. All things work together for good. Negative. Yeah. No, they don't. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, right? And so everybody has their cutesy little Christianity that they hold on to, but there's very few people who are trying to dig deep into the word of God and say, let me, let me show you God's saying, let me show you who I really am. See, to me, the message like what we heard today, where it comes really straight from the mouth of Jesus, where Jesus says, let me just tell you who I am. I died for all people. I went to the cross for all people. If your church is focused on any less than all people, it's not Jesus, right? That was God revealing himself through the scriptures to us this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I had that towel for my head, but I kept wiping my eyes. I was constantly just moved in my spirit because I saw two things. 
I saw who Jesus Christ was, and I saw myself. And truthfully, sometimes those don't, those don't match up, you know, and it's like, man, I need to, you know, I'm really proud of everybody, and a, a lot of them were our church members, and I'm completely fine with that, that stood up and said, you know what, I need to do better at that. Now, that wasn't because of the, the speaker this morning. <clears throat> that was because of the, the movement of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the people through the Word of God. Agree? It was amazing. We had an experience with God this morning. But here's what it says as we go on verse number 11. It says, for, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? All right, now let's make this practical. If I'm talking to Kim, um, one of the things that I had to learn in communication is, is that you can't beat around the bush. If you're trying to talk to somebody, you need to come out with it, whatever it is. You need to just be honest about what you're really talking about because they're probably not going to get it. We have the worst habit of saying half-truths and hoping that people understand what we're saying, you know? Um, so what I had to learn with Kim is, is I just had to tell her, like if I needed something from the store, what I might say is, hey, Kim, are you going to the store? Okay, that's not really, that's not really, I'm really not concerned with that. What I'm really concerned with is the fact that I need some gel in the morning and it's at the store. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, when I say that to her, she's not, she has no idea that I need gel at that point because I've only given her half of the truth. And so what I started doing is I literally would catch myself leading her on in a question, and I would start making a statement. Hey, I need some gel. So either, you know, if you're going to go to the store anyway, then can you pick me up some gel? If not, I need to know that so that I can go to the store and get some gel. But the point is, is at least now she can deal with that information. You, you know what I mean? And so... That, that, you said you were going to get to it, so I don't want to jump ahead. It's right, like, right. Truth and love. Because you're talking about gel, but what about real-life situations? I mean, there's things sometimes that you want to say, but if you say and you know it's going to hurt their feelings because they're not going to receive it well, how do you say those things without... Because I mean, I'm just... I'm black and white, and it usually winds up hurting people's feelings. Well, I think you can preface those statements by saying, listen, I need to... I, I really need to say something to you. Um... And it's something that's on my heart, and it's probably not going to be pleasant. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we, Kim and I wrote out a thing called Rules of Engagement, and some of you guys might have seen that, but one of the things is, is that you don't, uh, you don't throw bombs on people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you say, hey, listen, I need to talk to you about something serious, and I want you to prepare yourself, um, and when you're ready to hear it, I'm, re I'm ready to say it, but I want, you know, I want you to, to be prepared. Um, and they might say... Uh, man, that's not this moment. Mm -hmm. you, you know, uh, you don't want to drop a bomb on somebody uh, right before you head out the door to go to church. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, in the car just a minute ago, Kim was going to tell me about a situation. She said, you know what? No, this is not the right time for that. I don't want to sidetrack your mind. It's about somebody else in some other place. It's not, doesn't have anything to do with here. But she said, I just don't want to burden your mind right now with that. I want you to stay focused on what you're doing. Right? I said, I appreciate that. 
right? So um, there'll come a time where she'll fill me in on whatever it is that she's going to fill me in on, you know, and it'll be all right. Um, but she's picking the right time to do that. You see what I mean? Um, okay, so that's a little bit of a sidetrack. Let's keep moving. Uh, verse number 12 here, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So obviously he's talking, who's the we? Christian. He's talking to Christians. Would you agree, everybody? Well, verse 1 says, When I come to you, brothers. Right? Right, so he's definitely talking to Christians. That context has not changed, right? Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So he's saying, listen, you guys can know. You don't have to be ignorant. As a matter of fact, over and over again, especially in the book of Corinthians, both first and second, he's constantly saying, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. Listen, I don't want you guys to be ignorant of what's happening in the future because God has already written it down. He's already told us what that is. So a lot of people shy away from the book of Revelation. Um, they, they shy away from those kind of things. So I'm just like, shy away from it? No, those are the very things that God said I want you to know. So I have very little sympathy for that person who says, you know, I don't understand the things of God. Or, and I'm like, well, how much do you read the Bible? Well, I, I, you know, I just don't read the Bible at all. Okay, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it because God, God, listen to me. God has, here's a key word, freely given you these things. He's freely given you the spirit. He's freely given you the word of God. He gave you the book and the author. And God just sits back and say, and why in the world are you not opening that thing up? Listen to, you know, and, and people even today, you know, this used to be something that people, an excuse people could use. Man, I just don't read well. Uh, I'm not able to focus. Now listen, that doesn't hold water any longer because all you got to do is put in headphones and it'll read right to you. You know what I mean? So there's no excuse anymore for people not to be getting into the word of God and really grabbing hold of what God has for them. Verse number 13, it says, uh, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are what? Spiritual. spiritual. Spiritual truths to those that are spiritual. Somebody explain that to me. What does he mean? What does he mean? So what's the spiritual truth? Where are you going to find that? Only from God. The Holy Spirit. Huh? From the Word. From the Word, right? I want you to underline, uh, look at the very last point under John 2, 12 in your notes there. God's Word is truth. John 17, 17. Right? The, the Scripture says, sanctify them through your truth. Your Word is truth. Very, very pointed. Right? So it's going to be through the word of God that you find that truth. So spiritual truth equals the word or the Bible. Right? And then, and, and then the, uh, the spirit, or, or you being spiritual, those who are spiritual means that you have the spirit in you. So those two things are going to work together. 
It's the Holy Spirit. And, and constantly when you're, when you're studying and doing a study on the Holy Spirit, what you're going to find is that he brings you into remembrance of the things that he taught you. Okay? So what's going to end up happening is that God is going to begin to teach you some truths. And I, I use this as an example in my 180 study, and you guys can do this as well. But when you're first starting out with somebody, it's like a teacher in a, in a class, right? Let's say you're in a math class. Two plus two is four, no matter what people say today. It actually is four, right? Two plus two is four. That is a truth. It doesn't matter how you slice it. It doesn't matter how you say it. Two plus two always equals four. That's a line of truth. So what ends up happening is that as you're forming these lines of truth, we're going to talk about this more here in a minute, that then what happens is, is that you become, you, you start to form a network of truth, okay? So have you guys ever seen those, um, uh, those, um, those baseball practice nets where you throw, the, you throw it at the net and then it, it's got a certain angle on it and it comes back to you? You guys have ever seen those? Mm -hmm. Okay, so if that, if that net only has one string on it and you throw that ball, is it going to come back to you? Yeah, I mean, how could you do that? We're not capable of doing such things. That one line of truth, if you will, is not enough to catch what's trying to be said. So what they do is they put several lines on there. Um, but listen, even if you just have horizontal lines on there, is that going to bring that ball back to you? Probably not. It's probably going to still slip through. So what they do is then they come with some, with some, I think I said horizontal and did this. Vertical, they put vertical and then they put some horizontals, right? And then all of a sudden you have what? Okay, now you've got a web of truth. And then you toss that truth at it and all of a sudden you're able to catch it. Okay, that's exactly what happens with Christians. We start with very simple things. God is what? Love. God is love. God is the creator. God is, right? And, and we, we start with these different things that are just very basic. Listen, when you guys are taking people through 180, you need to be very basic in what you're talking about because if they don't have that network, that web of understanding, you're going to be talking about some stuff that they are not going to understand. And I'm telling you right now, people don't understand They think they understand, but they don't. You've got to get really, really simple. I'm talking like Sunday school simple. There's a big sky. In that big sky, there's a God who created, you know what I mean? You've got to be very, very simple in the things that you're trying to teach or you're going to lose people today, okay? So, um, and not only that, you need to win them to Christ, So the first, thing, the first thing that you're doing, because when you win them to Christ and they receive Christ, what do they get? They get the Holy Spirit. Okay, now they've got that other piece where they can start to dive in and they can start to learn those other truths. So it needs to be very specific on the things that you're teaching. So by the time we get done tonight, you'll know how to build some of those most basic truths into the lives of people and maybe even solidify them even in your own heart tonight. Okay? So... Um, with that being said, just going on to verse number 14, just to finish out this passage, it says the natural person does not accept 
the things of the Spirit of God. Natural. Let's let's define that. What's a natural person? Okay, so he's doing a comparison. Man, if you guys get down that most of the Bible is about a comparison, then you're going to have most of it licked. Okay, so you've got a spiritual and you've got a, a natural, right? So you've got the guy who's saved and you've got the guy who's lost. You've got the one who's wise. You've got the one who's... Right? You've got darkness and you've got... See, I'm telling you, God is so simple in the things that he says. We just need to keep them simple. But people understand comparisons. One of the, one of the rules of Bible study that I'll teach you as we're going through here is the, the rule of like and as. Jesus said over and over again in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man or like unto a woman or, right? And so... Does it mean that it is a man or it is a woman? No. What he's doing is the same thing we do. He's going to explain it to you with a comparison. And through that comparison, we're going to go, oh, okay. And usually comparison always ends in a choice. You're either going to choose light, dark, wisdom, foolish, natural, spiritual. There's a choice to be made at the end of those comparisons. All right? Okay, so the next thing I want to do is I want to take you guys over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So let's flip over there, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I think I told you guys last time, but just to, just to reiterate, um, remember, and I'll, I'll lay out the books of the Bible, but in all honesty, we're not ready for that yet, okay, as we're studying it out. Um, but 2 Timothy is one of the what we call the pastoral epistles, okay? Now, a pastoral epistle means that Paul is writing to some preacher boys. And he's getting them to understand this office of pastor and what they're supposed to be doing, okay? And so he tells, if you look back to verse number 14, he says, but as for you, now this is Paul talking to his student, Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in, in, in what you have learned and have, and, and have um, uh, firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from, a chi uh, from childhood you have been uh, acquainted with the, with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what had happened is, is that his mother and his grandmother had been teaching him the scriptures, right? Paul says, listen, don't forget those lessons. Don't forget those most basic lessons that you've been learning about Jonah and the whale, and about uh, Daniel in the lion's den and all those kinds of things, right? Um, one of the things is we win people to Christ who are a little bit older. You know, we, we baptized Megan today and, um, and you come on board, you know. It, one of the things that I would suggest, if you did not go through Sunday school, then I suggest that you teach Sunday school. And the reason why is because it will teach you those most basic, it'll break them down into the most simple form of how you can learn those lessons, those simple lessons of the Bible. Now me, praise God, I grew up in a Christian home. I do not know life without church on Sunday morning, right? Every Sunday morning I was in somebody's class and somebody was teaching me something about the Bible, right? Uh, and I praise God for that. To me, I was not, I, I did not have a, a, a drug problem, right? 
Um, they didn't drag me to church. I, I went on my own. I, I literally, when I was 16 years old, as soon as I got my license, my mom and dad, for whatever reason, they got mad at somebody and got out of church. I, was, I, I did that for two weeks. I sat at home playing video games for two weeks and I said, this is ridiculous. I gotta go back to church. They had just instilled that in me. That's what we do. And, uh, and I was feeling guilty. I was feeling ashamed. Like, I'm going to go back to my church home. And I did. You know? Um, so I would encourage you guys to do the thing, same thing. Make sure you're getting that. All right, so here's what he says to him. He says, trust the things that you've already learned. Verse 16, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Okay, so now listen. Let me... Let me just get you to understand what we're doing. What I'm doing for you right now is I'm establishing a line of truth, or let me say it a different way. I'm establishing a context by which you're going to read the Bible. The very first filter that you want to look through or, or lens that you want to see the Bible through is you have to understand this very simple fact that it is God-breathed. Do you catch that? That's going to change the way that you look at the scriptures. Because there's a lot of people who read the scriptures and they don't have that most basic truth about the Bible. They think it's written by men or that you can take it or leave it. And so their lens is already skewed. Before they ever open the book, their lens is already skewed. Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to do is I'm establishing that context that lens for you to look through the entire Bible to understand that it's God-breathed. Okay, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, when I see that scripture, you know what I see? I see me. The reason why is because I'm that guy. I'm that man. I want to be equipped. Okay, well, if that's the truth, if I want to be equipped, how do I get equipped? How do I become complete? And if you see this in the King James, it's going to use the word perfect, right? But we know that, that, that really the word complete is a better understanding is that you're going to be well-rounded. How does a person become well-rounded in their understanding, complete in their understanding of the scriptures or of God? You're going to get that through the Bible. Some of it's good for you. Some of it's not. Some of it, it's all good for you, but some of it's going to be pleasant. And some of it's not going to be pleasant, right? Because what does he say? He said it's good for teaching. What's the next one? Reproof. Reproof. Okay, reproof is not fun. That's what you were talking about a minute ago. Mm -hmm. How do I speak the truth in love when I need to reproof? Mm -hmm. Through the scriptures. See, Alan, one of the things that you need to do when you're talking to somebody, let, let God, listen to me close, let God be the heavy. You're not the heavy. This is not your truth. You didn't lay this out. Let God be the heavy. The word of God says, right? So now some people say, well, you're just beating people up with the Bible. And you can do that if you're pulling scriptures out of context. But listen, sometimes truth is truth. And you're going to have to deal with it, right? So 
let God be the heavy in that situation and say, listen, as we follow Christ, here's what Christ has told us. Here's what God has, here's a principle that we find in God's word. And then all of a sudden, it's not you being mean or you being high and mighty or, or, or self-righteous. No, listen, I struggle with this too. But the truth is, according to the Bible, here's the way we need to act. Does that make sense? So reproof is one of those things. Correction, right? Correction, training in righteousness. Now I want you guys to look down um, and I have defined those for you, okay? So it says all scripture is breathed out of God and is profitable for teaching. Okay, so the first one is that doctrinal or teaching. Do you guys see this in your notes? This is under that 2 Timothy 3.16. So here, here's, here's the question that you're gonna be asking when you're looking into the Bible. What is right? Isn't it funny that most people are not asking what is right, they're asking what? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with me doing that? What's wrong? No, that's the wrong question. The question is, what's right? Okay? So when you find out what's right, then you can start to move into what's right. We're not trying to be as wrong as possible or as close to the wrong line as we can, we're pressing toward the high calling and the high mark of God. So we need to be asking a different question about, wait a minute, what's right with that? Okay? Exactly. Because we're great lawyers. We're great lawyers. We can definitely look for loopholes, right? Okay, so what's right about that? Now, look at these three things because these actually changed my ministry as I began to, to preach God's word. I was a preacher before I knew what I'm teaching you now. Okay? And then I learned that in every scripture, you're going to find basically three things. You're going to find a historical truth, what happened, right? But you're also going to find a doctrinal truth. What is the truth? What's the right thing there? And then the third one is personally, how does that apply to me? What do I do with that? Okay? So even after tonight, I want you to ask these three questions. What did I learn? What's the history of it? What's the truth that I need to grab and how do I apply that? If you'll do those three things and, and truthfully, if you're ever trying to like teach a Bible study or you're trying to, you know, you know, give a devotion or, you know, whatever the case is, go with those three things. Historically, what did it say? What's the truth of it? And how do we apply that to our lives? And all of a sudden you're going to have a message. God's going to start filling you up, Right. Okay, the second one is reproof. So the reproof is, well, what's wrong? So doctrine or teaching is what's right. Reproof is there might be something wrong. So somebody might come and say, hey, listen, when we're talking about wisdom and foolish, you're ending up on the foolish side. We need to get back to the wisdom side, right? Um, so you'll have that uh, identifying the pain of people. That's, that's reproof. Uh, what's causing that pain? When you go to the doctor, uh, the doctor doesn't say, listen, I looked you over and you're 97% right on the money, man. What's your first question going to be? <laughs> What's the other three? Oh, well, you, you have pancreatic cancer. Well, that's a big three. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? Like you're going to want to know not only what's right, I mean, you're doing really good in these areas, but you're also going to want to know, well, what's wrong? That's why you went to the doctor. 
if you didn't think that there was ever going to be anything wrong, there would be no need for doctors. Right? Isn't it the same way with the Word of God? For all have sinned, right? The natural man does what naturally? He sins, right? That's what we do. We naturally do that. If you've not figured that out about yourself, hang out with me for a little while. I'm telling you right now, it comes really naturally. Okay? So, you answer the question, what's wrong? What's the pain? What's causing me this pain? Listen, this is how we counsel people. The way we counsel people in the Word of God is, if you will quit doing that, (laughs) then you will stop having that pain. Whether it be emotional, whether it be relationships, whether it be drinking, or, yeah, you, you know what I mean? Uh, you, you take a person who every time he, get, he, he drinks, he gets drunk, he beats his wife, or whatever, and you're like, hey, listen, that's not a hard thing. Look, let me tell you, if you'll quit doing that, well, I'm just not a, I'm just not a good drunk. Okay, that's easy. Quit getting drunk. You see what I mean? Um, so you got those reproof. You want to find the pain of people. Who, who or what is the villain? Sometimes that villain is you. Sometimes you're causing the pain. Um, and the next one is correction. So correction is how do I fix that? See, the Bible not only tells us what's right and what's wrong, but it also tells us how we can fix it. What are the steps that are necessary to fix that? Um, I'll let you guys in on a secret. This is the formula that I use whenever I'm writing a sermon, okay? I go through every single one of these. What's the truth? What, what's right? What's wrong? How do we fix it? And then the last one is how do I keep it? So once I make the corrections, what, what, what can I put into my life? Okay, take, take somebody who's addicted to pornography, for example, Right? Um, there's tons of things wrong with that. What's wrong with that? Well, it degrades women. It messes with your mind. It literally acts as a drug in your mind and forms different habits. It's usually caused because of uh, you thinking that you need to control something, uh, lack of intimacy, um, you know, on and on and on and on we could go about what's wrong with all of that. Okay, how do I fix that? Well, you've got to, number one, have intimate relationship with the Lord. You need to have an intimate relationship with others. Um, And then how do I keep that? You need to put a filter on your computers. Right? You need to to spend time in the Word of God instead of spending so much time on the computer. If you can't handle the computer, you need to do what? You need to get rid of it. You understand what I mean? These would be those ways of instruction. How can, I, how can I keep it? You will not die, right? <laughs> what steps can I take to ensure that I don't feel this pain any longer? Okay, because at the end of the day, what's happening is that it's really not the pornography that's the issue, is that it tears down what? Relationships. It tears down your relationships. That's a side note, another message. So, um, we see God in the pages of the Bible and we also see ourselves as a mirror. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but you guys can look this up in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It talks about how we're changed into the image of God and how we see ourselves as through a glass. But I do want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of James. 
Turn to James chapter 1. And look at verse number 22. Because I do believe that this is important when we're talking about being conformed to the Word of God. I just, I just tell people about that, that a lot of times, I know a lot of folks that go to church that use the Bible as a flashlight to shine on other people instead of a mirror to see themselves. Mm-hmm. You can easily fall into that. But, you know, man, I wish such and such was there to hear that message today. Yeah. You know, what, what God said to me today about that. Yeah. It's not a flashlight, it's a mirror. Yeah, exactly. What did Jesus say? What's the, what's the biblical principle that Jesus said? Does anybody know? What comes to your mind? Anything? What was this? You know, what Alan was saying is, is that sometimes people who use the Bible or messages as a flashlight to shine on other people yeah. instead of a mirror to come back to them. Judging us Right? Right? Didn't Jesus, didn't Jesus say something about before you go and correct your brother, what do you do? Before, before you get the speck out of your brother's eye, what does he say? Get the log out of your own eye. You know what that really tells me? Probably if you've gotten judgmental, you don't see yourself. You don't see who you are. Um, that's why it's so important, you know, and I appreciate uh, the elders that we have here, our elders in training. Uh, both Alan and Brant ask me all the time, Pastor, you got somebody speaking into your life? Have you been meeting with other pastors? Have you been meeting with Aaron? Have you been, you know, you hanging out with those guys? They, they don't say that because they don't trust me. They say that because they love me. Because I need those mirrors. I need those people who are constantly speaking into my life. You need those people who are constantly speaking into your life. Uh, that will tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? Because that's exactly what... Now, now if, you're, if you're called into, to do that for somebody, make sure that you're doing that according to the Scriptures. Okay? Um, that, way, that way you're not the heavy, it's God. Okay, James chapter 1, verse 22 says this. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only. What's that next part? Deceiving yourselves. I want you guys to explain that verse to me. What does that verse mean? Be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If, if you are only hearing it and not living it, then it's, it's worthless information. I think, I mean, I don't know. It, it becomes worthless. It's not active. It's dead. It dies inside of you. It, it's mm-hmm. not, so if, if the things that we're learning by the Spirit, through the Spirit, and we're taking in, die here if I don't live it out. So just being a hearer. All right, so where does the deception come in? Deceiving ourselves. Because the pride says... I got this. I got it. I'm I'm in control. I I know all this stuff. Well, Mm -hmm. it also says in the Bible that out of knowledge, all it does is pop up. Exactly. And that's yeah. what, to me, that's what it is. We're here, we're all gathered to hear, but what are we doing there? Right. Oh, wow. Bunch of amen. Yeah. Bunch of agreeing. Right. I thought today's message really, really spoke to everyone there. Because mm-hmm. somebody, everyone, I know I did. You know, and I'm really loving everybody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, and just made us really come to realization of what we need to be doing. 
Think about think about how simple the message is. Doctrinally, what what did he do? He started out by saying, "What is right?" Hey guys, come on in. We got we got chairs here. Um, and there's also a worksheet too. So Damien started out. What the first thing the first thing he told us was, "What's right?" And he began to talk about the love of Christ. So he set the bar, right? He set the right of what is right. Then he comes back and he says, okay, well, what's wrong? What's wrong is, is that we're not hitting that bar, right? Okay, how do we correct that? You can see him working through the way that the scriptures are. We're, we're, in, we're now in James chapter 1, verse 22. But you can see him working through those things. And then how do we fix it? How do we keep it? You, you know, and he walked through every one of those, right? Um, so you're going to find that pattern. Anytime you hear a good message, I'll bet you that you're going to find that pattern in there, okay? Uh, so the deception, we're, we're in James chapter 1, verse 22, when it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The deception is, is that if I know it, I'm better. If I know it, then I'm better. So even in this class, if you're here because you want to know something, I'm telling you right now, that does not necessarily make you any better. What's going to happen is that when you take the word of God and you apply it, you know, not just be a hearer. Let's go on. Verse number 23 says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. So remember, what did I say the Bible's all about? Comparisons, right? So you're either going to be a hearer or you're going to be a, a doer, right? And, and what did I say about comparisons? At the end of them? At the end of it, you're going to have some kind of choice, right? So here's what he says. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like, there's that word like, he is like a man who looks intently into the natural face, at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Okay, so if you're in the message this morning and you're hearing about, we've got to love like Christ. We've got to have the same heart that Christ had. And you heard and you saw that this morning and you were just like, that is so right. And then by the time you ate lunch, you're no longer trying to put that into your life. You no longer are meditating on that. You're not thinking about that. You're not, you don't have any intention on somehow living that out. I'm telling you right now, those feelings that you had of looking in the mirror are deceptive. If it doesn't change you. Okay? It's the weirdest thing for me, the older I get. When I look in the mirror, I always have to double take. Because I'm like, who is that dude in the mirror? Like, I remember myself as a 20-year-old guy, 150 pounds, that could bench 225 pounds about three times. That's not this guy. Yeah, you know what I mean? So I got to look in the mirror, and I'm just like, oh, yeah. I'm not 20 any longer. I'm 47. And I've changed over the years a little bit. Right? So he goes on to verse 24. He says, he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But, here's your comparison, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perceives 
being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So does God care how much you know? Not really. Not unless the knowledge turns into action. Okay? He could care less how much you know. The Bible tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, every man will be judged for what he knows. No. Every man will be judged according to the things done in this body, whether they be good or bad. So if you know to do good and you don't do it, that's sin. Isn't that what the Bible says? So actually, to whom much is given, much is required. The more you learn about the scriptures, the more you understand about God, the more God says, now wait a minute, you know that. You know that. I think it's worse for a person when they know and they don't do. So how many Christians do we have sitting in church every single Sunday and they're like, amen. I used to have a guy that would sit in my service and he was one of my greatest ameners. Man, that's me, pastor. I'm telling you right now, boy, I can relate. Woo, preach it, because that's me. And I pulled him aside afterwards. I said, when are you going to change, man? I mean, you're so vocal about the fact that that's you. You're taking pride in the fact that you've not made the changes. Nobody's impressed with that. Nobody's impressed with that. What God is impressed with is the doer of the word and not just the hearer. It's got to change you. So when you get into the word of God and you start to study the word of God, you go into that thing with the idea, God, I want you to change me. I don't want to be the same. I want to grow. I want to be different. I want to be better. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to shine the light of God. And I don't know how to do that. I need you to teach me how to do that. Okay? And so we start moving into that relationship with the Lord. That is probably one of the biggest problems that I see in the church today is these simple words. I know. I know. I used to counsel with a guy all the time. He'd come in and, and I would say, hey, uh, you know, you're really not supposed to be uh, shacking up with your girlfriend. Yeah, I know. I said, no, I don't think you do. I don't think you understand. No, I know I'm not supposed to do that. No, if you really understood you wouldn't be doing that. So what changes are you going to make? Well, I know I should. You see, to me, that's just damnation out of your own mouth. You know what I mean? It's like, why would you... Don't you think that a person of character, when they hit that moment and they say, oh no, I know. Don't you think that would be the moment that you would say, oh God. I need to change that. I need, I, I need to, to be molded into your image. I need to be changed into your image. Help me to do that. Look over at Romans chapter, chapter 12, verse number two. Now guys, in all honesty, some of these things that I'm giving you right now, you've heard these things a hundred times, but I'm telling you again anyway, um, just in case. Romans chapter 12. If you continue... This, I'm, I'm speaking of experience now. Mm -hmm. Knowing, understanding, having the knowledge of, and doing it anyway, 
at some point in my life I grew um, uh, insensitive to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, I, and he, I don't know that he stopped talking, but I quit listening. And yeah. I didn't feel that conviction until one day I heard God's word. I was, I've been listening to it, but I heard it and it pierced my heart. And I guess my point is, though, there is a there can be a time of darkness before we hear that. You know, that I mean, at least in my life, there was a time of, of I knew I did it anyway. I became insensitive to God's word, but then God pierced my heart and I went running back when I realized mm -hmm. that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Just, well, and that brings us to, to the place that God will chasten his children, right? Mm -hmm. He does He does that, as the Bible says in, in Hebrews 12, for your benefit. Um, I never spanked my child because I was mad. It was always because there was a correction that needed to be made. You're living one way. If you continue to live that way, you will hurt yourself. You will hurt your relationships. You will hurt your future. We need to correct, right? So God comes in and God says, you know what? I love you more than what your heavenly father, your earthly father could have ever loved you. We need to correct. Because if you keep going that way, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt your relationships. And you're not going to, you're not going to be able to be on mission with me. So let's correct it. Well, quenching, quenching the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Romans chapter. Yeah. Romans twelve one says this: I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. To present your bodies. Now, that's pretty strong. We read that. We memorize that. But I want you to think about it for just a second. He's saying, listen, if, if with everything in me, Paul says, I'm appealing to you. I'm begging you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse number two. Do not be conformed to this world. You're going to conform to something. Don't be conformed to this world. Here's your comparison, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. He says you've got to get to the place where you say, I want to be conformed to God. That's the only way that you're going to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. Okay, so how do we renew our mind? We renew our mind with the word of God. Okay, all right. So in your notes, as you're looking at Psalm 119, one, we actually covered that last week. I didn't make the statement. I did post it, but I didn't make it last week. The Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Isn't that true? If you're having a hard time in your relationship with God, the very first thing that's going to go is prayer. You're going to quit talking to him. The second thing that's going to go is he's going to quit talking to you, which means you're going to quit, you're going to quit reading the Bible. What are pastors constantly trying to pound into people? Be in prayer, be reading the Bible. Be in prayer, why? Because it's that, it's that communication, it's that inlet and line that you have with God 
Don't cut off the communication with God. I was watching uh, that Lone Soldier. Uh, um, you guys seen that movie? Okay, uh, that movie is intense, right? You know the biggest problem that those guys were having? You guys seen the movie I'm talking about? Lone Soldier, you got, it was what, five? Was it four or five? I think it was five, uh, uh, five uh, were they Navy guys? Were they SEALs? These Navy SEALs were out and they were running ops. Lone Survivor, yeah, what I say? Yeah, 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 Lone Survivor. So, um, you know, the biggest problem that those guys were having is they lost their comms. They lost communication. Because they could have got all the help that they needed, but their communications were cut off. The sat phone wasn't working. They, they, couldn't, they, they could not radio back and tell them position, ask for help, and all those kinds of things. Because here you've got the whole army, you've got the whole navy, you've got marines, you've got everybody who's just waiting to get the command to go and help. But they can't find the position. You know, uh, comms are everything in, in spiritual warfare. I'm telling you, so what you've got to do is you've got to keep those lines of communication open. Listen, if you don't feel like communicating with God, do it anyway. I don't feel like reading today. So what? Read anyway. Those are probably the times that God's going to speak to you the loudest because he's going to know where you're at. You're going to know where he's at. You're going to keep those lines of communication open. Right, so all right, so I want to get into Genesis chapter one. So let's go ahead and get over to Genesis chapter one. Uh, this is, should be on the back side of your note page, I think, is where it starts for this one. And I'm going to start to teach you a little bit about um, studying the Bible so that you can have a more intimate relationship with the Lord. Right, so we've still got about 30 minutes and we're right on time. All right, so here's what the Bible says these are the first words of the Bible. If you've got a study Bible, I was looking at Kim's ESV study Bible a little bit earlier, and on the first page it had, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was out form and void, and darkness was upon the base of the deep, and the rest of it was notes. <laughs> that was all that was on the page. Um, and I thought, how, how uh, um, ironic that is, because Genesis is just packed full, okay? So I hope that you guys had a chance to read it a little bit. Uh, we're reading through the book of Genesis together. But just starting at the beginning, um, Genesis means what? It is the book of beginnings. Okay? Uh, if you think about a Genesis, it's always going to mean that. Sometimes you even hear people say that. There's a band called Genesis, right? Uh, one of my favorite bands. But, uh, yeah, yeah. They thought they were, but they weren't. Um, all right, so here's the first thing I want to teach you. Learning to read with context. Now, most times when people teach this first rule of Bible study, and everybody teaches this one, you hear context, context, context. Make sure you put it in context. Uh, I will completely agree with that, but I think that what I want to teach you is, are you reading it with context? And what I mean by that is that, what are your presuppositions? You guys ever heard that word before? Presuppositions. <clears throat> Everybody has presuppositions. A presupposition means what do you presuppose? So when I'm talking to you, you're going to presuppose something. If I say to you, hey, we're going to go to the lake, you might presuppose that we're going to get wet. 
right? Uh, you might presuppose that I would put on a bathing suit um, or that it's going to be sunny outside because uh, you, you might ask the question, what if it rains? So you're presupposing that it's not going to rain. Do you understand what I mean? Everybody has presuppositions in their life. We approach, one of the problems that we have in communication is our presuppositions. So we already come to the table and we think something. And then somebody says something that doesn't line up with what we think. And all of a sudden we've got a conflict. We've got a problem that we have to deal with. Um, conflicts are not bad, right? But here's what you need to be doing. Make sure that you're, that you're willing to that you're willing to take away your presuppositions. Your presuppositions may or may not be right. Um, all dogs don't go to heaven. <laughs> I'm just telling you, right? Um, I love dogs, whatnot. But if you have a presupposition that, you know, God loves dogs and dogs obviously are going to go to, you might need to be willing to change that one. Okay? All right, so Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. Yeah, no, I won't spend any time on it. Okay, so the first thing that we're looking at is the very first words, in the beginning. Anytime, I, I want you guys to look for time markers, and that's in your note. I want you to underline time markers. Because when God gives a time marker, you're going to see certain words that will give you those contexts and give you those time markers. Okay, like for example, in the beginning would, would be what? Creation. Okay? Um, there's another one that you might want to write down. That day. Anytime you see the phrase that day in the scriptures, it's always going to point you to the, to the second coming of Christ. Okay? It's going to point you to that time of tribulation working up to the coming of Christ and include the millennial time. That day. Okay? So there are key time markers that you're going to find in the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so that's the first phrase. Now, when you're thinking about that, um, you, you look at this first context by which the, the rest of the Bible must flow. Okay, in the beginning, God created. So here's what we learned right, right at the beginning. God is the creator of all things. One of the major presuppositions that most scientists have today is that God did not create this thing. That it, that it happened by happenstance, Darwin, whatever. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, is that the more that scientists study, the more they will use words like intelligent design. Uh, they don't want to say God, um, but they will say it was something. There had to be something, right? Um, which we know what that something is. So, I don't know. I won't get off track. I don't yeah. mean to go back. But my presupposition, when I, especially when I first read that, in the beginning, and I and I already just our presupposition about God is that He always has been. Yeah. And when He says in the beginning, well, there had to be something before that if He was always there. Yeah. So then, so you know, reconciling that, that's why some of these scientists get way off. What was before in the beginning? You know, what, yeah, but they don't have any better answer than that than you do. Right. No, I agree. The, the, There's no, no proof of There's no physical. I mean, you know, like as you scientifically prove out like this. I know yeah. there is proof in my heart and in Yeah, but, but the truth is, is that we don't know what that is. And I think the reason why we don't know what that is is because it doesn't concern us. Right? right? 
Um, I think there's a time we will know, but not right now. Uh, we got enough on our plate as it is. But God is the creator of all things. I want you to notice, um, if you have a study Bible, does anybody have a little letter in your scripture, like a little A or something on the beginning? You have that in there? Um, yes? Okay. Do you know what that is? Okay. And this is one of the things I want to teach you because your Bible is pretty rich when the translators translated it. Now, if you have an ESV, those translators are modern translators. If you're using a King James Version, then it's going to be the translators from 1611. Okay? But what, the, what, what those little things are, you know, the translators have put little notes in there to kind of help you along your way. Okay? So, like... Uh, my letter A, if I, if I uh, click on that, it gives me literally five, six, seven, eight verses. Okay. Like verses as in tra like translate, different translations? No, no, um, as um, different places that will say the same thing. Like a list of throughout the Bible. Yes. That refers back to. That refers back to the same thing. Where, where the translators believe that the context is the same. Okay? So like Sarah, do you what's your what's the very first one that they give you there? Well they just showed me because I have no idea, but it says Psalms 102, 25. Psalms 102, 25. Let me see if I have that. Go ahead and look that up, Sarah. So Sarah's going to read to us Psalm 102. Okay, so what they've done is they've proved the Bible with the Bible, right? So they're showing you another place in the scriptures where it says that same thing so that if somebody says, well, just because it says in the beginning, you know, wait a minute, that's one author, that's Moses. But you read that out of Psalms, which might be Moses, but I think it's David, right? Because Moses also wrote some Psalms. Uh, but, right? But, but David's probably the author of that one. And so now you've got in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. And all of a sudden, the Bible's proving out the Bible. And you have those tools already. It'll usually tell you at the beginning of the psalm. It is freezing, right? Going back to one of, the, one of the college courses I took in philosophy, uh -huh. um, one of the, because we got on the subject of, of uh, Christianity and religion, and one of, the, one of the issues we discussed is how do you prove the Bible's truth by using the Bible? Um, in the in the sense that that's philosophically unsound. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like saying, I exist because I exist. Right, right. Uh, so, uh, and my thinking is, I, I understand how the Bible gives us references 
to scriptures throughout the Bible, but is there references to um, uh, references to Well, and I would say the proof's in the pudding, right? Um, so here's what we do know, that the, the whole Bible, and this is something for you guys to understand, the whole Bible is prophetic, okay? What that means is, is that it always speaks and has always spoken of the things that would happen in the future, okay? Now, what we know at this point, 6,000 years into human history, is it's never been wrong. Not one time. It has a 100% track record on every prophecy that's been laid out. Right? So that's what I mean by when I say the proof is in the pudding. So I, I wouldn't just go to the Bible. Now, this I wouldn't be able to say this back in, in BC right. 1, right? Yeah. Or BC, no, it wouldn't be 1, it would be BC 4,000 4, or whatever, right? Um, I wouldn't be able to say that then, but now... We have the proof that the Bible has always been correct in the things that it was doing. So history itself proves out the Bible. Okay. Um, I think there's a part two that you, when you, did, you came in a little bit later at the beginning, and you, you know this already, I'm sure, but the Bible is, uh, what do we say, 40 authors of 66 separate books. I mean, you're talking about 40 different authors. So we, we look at the Bible in context of that one book, and, and now, a lot of the world looks at that as that's a single book, but it was written by several different authors who, who didn't necessarily go back to this text because <coughs> they were inspired by God and they line up perfectly. So okay. I think I think in context of, of what you're talking about too, I mean, the, like he said, proofs in the pudding. We got all the history where these different authors have written these things down, and they're exactly the same. We'll get it as a collection rather than a, a single entity. Yeah. So, um, did you know that about your, your Bible with the little, little numbers and stuff in there? Okay, cool. Uh, because that will really help you. Alan, even in your app. Yeah, I just, I'm looking at the SV, but I think you can add study, study things to it, right? Um, or certain versions. ESV usually has that stuff built into it. Um, but, but you should be able to use those notes. And so, Sarah, I, I know that that's new for you. But there's a lot of information right there, okay? So when you're studying, you get on something. If you see one of those little numbers, now usually a, a letter, now this is not always the case depending upon the um, author of your study Bible, but normally letters are going to be scripture references. Numbers are going to be notations. So if you have a number, it's usually going to be an explanation or they're going to have a paragraph at the bottom or... There's, there's more, something more they're going to give you. Like a, footnote. a footnote, right? But usually your letters are scripture references um, that they're going to try to help you in, their, in those scriptures. Okay, so as we're talking about this creation, and this is a big thing, you know, and like I said, when you're, when you're dealing with people you're, or you're training people, this is one of those truths that you've got to get down is that you don't want your disciples or people thinking that we don't know where we come from, because that's not true. The Bible is very clear on this subject, right? Uh, turn over to the book of Job. Turn over to Job chapter 38. If you can find Psalms, Job is right before Psalms, okay? 
And usually if you open your Bible up straight to the middle, you hit Psalms. Okay? But if you go to Job chapter 38, um, there's an interesting thing, a little footnote that you need to think about Job or understand about Job. It's actually the oldest book in the Bible. Okay? Um, now, yes. Yes, it's pre-Moses. Right? So obviously the content of the book of Job is not pre-Moses because Moses wrote about creation, right? But the actual book itself is the oldest book that, that, that's in the Bible. So what you're going to find is that there's tons of reference to creation, to the things of, uh, of the stars and astrology and all that kind of stuff, okay? Um, um, so uh, Job chapter 38, look at this. Um, now the context here, Job is a righteous man, He's fallen because of the Lord and the Lord putting him through some trials. He's fallen into bad times, right? Lost his family, lost everything that he had. Um, and, and so he's starting to question, and here's the question that he has. Why was I even born? Why was, I mean, Lord, what, what is the deal, man? Like if this is life for me, why was I even born? Okay. And so here's what God comes back in verse number one, Job 38, one. He says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? So the very first thing that God says is, what do you know? Here you are, you're asking questions. And, and, and I want you to, to understand something about communication. Whoever is asking the questions is driving the conversation. Okay. So when I ask him, hey, uh, you gonna be going to the store later? I just put myself in the driver's seat of that conversation because I'm leading her somewhere. Because if she says, uh, yeah, I was thinking about going to the store. Hey, great, because I need some gel, right? So what I did is I set her up to go to the store for me through questions. You understand what I'm saying? Whoever's asking the questions or driving the conversation. So when, Job, so when Job starts asking God questions, God says, well, wait a minute. If anybody's going to ask some questions here, it's going to be me. Okay? So here's what he says. In verse number two, he says, Who is it that darkens counsel by words without wisdom? Dr uh, dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and, and, and you make it known to me. He says, okay, you want to ask some questions? i got a few of them for you. Number, verse number four, he says, Where were you? <laughs> right? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who, de who determined its measurements? Surely you know. I love the sarcasm there, right? He says, or, or, or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? That's interesting to me. That as God, the context here is obviously creation. He's talking about laying the foundations. He's talking about cornerstones. He's talking about uh, footers and headers, right? And then he goes on and he says, uh, when he says, um, in verse number seven, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because what it's telling us is, is that at some point, as God created the world, there was something before. Well, we know that 
the sons of God were before because they shouted for joy at the creation. Right? What are sons of God? Okay, so what ends up happening is is that you would have to do a study on that, wouldn't you? Because what you're going to find is that the sons of God refer to four people and four, four types of people only, all of which, <clears throat> excuse me, all of which are direct creation from God. Okay? You had Adam, which is called the son of God in Luke chapter 3. Okay? Right? You got Jesus. Okay? Talk about that in a second, but we know that he was given a body, and that body was a direct creation. It did not come through any human man, right? Then you've got the angels. The angels are direct creations from God. But then John chapter 1 tells us that there's one more. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to, to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. It's the church people. It's us. Why? Because when you're born again, right? It's a direct creation from God and now you've become a son or daughter of God. Okay? But here's an interesting thing. Talking about context. In creation, it says what? The word all. That's a really important word. All the sons of God shouted for joy. Now there's another son of God who's in there. Who would that... Who, who would I be referring to? Well, as a matter of fact, let's just go back to Job chapter 1 and verse number 6. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. He, says, he says this. You guys there? Job 1, verse number 6. He says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and who? Satan, Satan also came among them. Now wait a minute. Okay, so we've got this context of creation... And in this context of creation, he says that all the sons of God sang together for joy. Okay? Now, if Satan had fallen at that point, do you think that he would have been rejoicing? Okay, so here's what we understand. In Genesis 1.1, when it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, this is pre-fall. And I'm not talking about the pre-fall of man. I'm talking about the pre-fall of, of Satan. Because all the sons of God sang for joy at the creation of the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so um, going on in that, I want you to look over at um, Hebrews. Go over to Hebrews chapter 1. There's just a couple other proof texts that I want to show you here just real quickly, and then we're going to move on. Um, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 10. These are all in your notes there too. It says, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Right? So the Bible makes no bones about the fact and leaves no room outside of the fact that God is the creator. Okay? Hebrews chapter 11. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is that chapter about faith, right? It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse number two, for by it the people of old received their, their uh, uh, commendation. And here's verse number three. This is what I want you to see. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by what? 
by the word of God, so that what so that what is seen was not made out of things that are that are visible. That means that God did not have a a storage building in the back that had the building blocks of dirt and and then he just started pulling stuff out of the shed and said, you know what, I think I'm going to make me a tree. It didn't work that way. He just said, I want a tree. And there was a tree. Right? So the Bible is very specific about the fact that who was the creator and how he created. He created from nothing. There was nothing and then he made something. Right? So the best thing that we can do is make. We can't create. We take things and we make something else. But God says, I don't need anything. And I'll just create whatever I want. Okay? I think it was, that throws out the Big Bang. Yeah. Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. Yeah. I mean, I've, never, I've, never, I've always believed that God said it and it was. But I've never really had, I've never had text to be able to say I always say, well, I guess God could have used two rocks, to but God still made the rocks. But. And I think it's really interesting because he, he, this passage tells you right away, it's a faith thing. Mm-hmm. So by faith we believe and understand that God created by the word of God from nothing. Right? Mm-hmm. So there's a proof text for that. All right, I want to show you one more. Turn over to John chapter 1. Because not only do we know that God is the creator, but we also know that Jesus is the creator. Okay, now, this is important in today's world because when we live amongst Muslims, they will say that God, that, that Jesus is what? He is a prophet. He's a good prophet. Uh, they would even give credence to the prophet of Jesus. Okay? But when you start saying, well, wait a minute, Jesus is God, they're going to have a problem with that. Or you say Jesus is the creator of all things, they're going to have a problem with that, right? So when you look at John chapter 1, it says what? What are the very first words? Okay, so you got that time marker. He lays that time marker out there for you. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. You see that capital? Okay, he puts that capital in there because the translators want you to know that in the context of this passage, they have no doubt that he's talking about a deity. That's why they've capitalized it, okay? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. God. He was, now we're talking about the Word, right? Mm -hmm. He was in the beginning with God. Mm -hmm. All things were what? Made. Made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, right? So there's no question that we believe that Jesus Christ is more than just uh, somebody who walked the face of this earth. We believe that Jesus is more than somebody that God chose to die for our sins. We believe that Jesus is more than somebody who just resurrected. He is God and he is the creator of all things, right? Let me show it to you again. Turn over to Colossians chapter one. Look at Colossians chapter one. Remember our... Little phrase, go eat popcorn, right? Um, If you're going to learn those little books of the Bible, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. So when we talk about salvation, we know that we've come into the kingdom of who? Not only God, of His Son. 
That's why we say Jesus is the king, right? King Jesus is who we serve. It says in verse 14, in whom we have redemption for forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The scriptures are very specific about who Jesus is. He is God, right? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. You see your time markers again? The scripture is very specific, giving you the exact same wording so that you know that he's talking about Genesis chapter one, right? Uh, when he says, by, by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He's talking about spiritual things there, okay? Uh, not, not just earthly things. Uh, all things were created through him and for him. So there's a couple of things then before we ever get out of Genesis chapter one, verse number one, that we need to understand. That God was in the beginning and that he's the creator of all things. But there's more that the Bible tells us from that context is that Jesus was also with him, right? Which Alan and I were talking about the word that's used there for God, which is Elohim. Mm -hmm. Elohim is a plural which most people don't understand that. Uh, but, but the reason why the translators didn't write gods is because they understand it's talking about one being mm -hmm. with three persons, right? So they understand that. But the word Elohim is actually a plural, okay? So Jesus was with God. He was God and is the creator of all things. Now for us, that's important. For your disciples, that's important. Because we're not just serving somebody who died on a cross for us. We're serving the creator of all things. Do you see the difference? And as you approach the Bible, and as you look even into the Old Testament, and here's the kicker, is that even when you're looking at the Old Testament, you gotta understand, Jesus is running that story. Because all things were created for him, by him, and, 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 it's, and it's for his pleasure that these things are and were created, right? So last one, go over to 1 John. 1 John is right before Revelation. Yeah, so you got John, right? But then you got 1 John. Same author, same guy, okay? The same guy wrote John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And Revelation, right? All right, so it says, it says uh, we're looking at verse number one, one. This is that which was from the beginning. There's your time marker, right? This is that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. Now, I want you to catch what John is saying. What John is saying is, is that the creator of all things came down to us. Do you guys... Do you guys understand the word Emmanuel? What is he? God with us, right? We use that, we use that around Christmas time. Um, but listen, it's so much more than a cool little song. The we got it? Okay. Um, so what, what he's saying there is that the God of the, of the universe, the creator of all things, came down to us. We saw him with our eyes. We put our hands on him, Right? This is somebody where God was with us. Verse number two, the life was made manifest 
and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That's pretty heavy. And there's no bones about the fact that he was in heaven with God. He was God. He came down to be with us. He was with us. He manifested that life to us. In verse number three, he says, that which we have seen and heard, the eyewitnesses that we are, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our, so that our joy may be complete. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, here's the thing. In the last church I pastored, the name of it was Fellowship. This is the verse that I chose as our key verse. Because what you know what we were doing? We were inviting people into the fellowship of the creator of the universe. Because we've seen them. We've handled them. We've, we've had those experiences. And now we're going out just like John was. And we're saying, listen, you need to get in on this. You need to experience what we have experienced. Right? But here's another key that I want you to get out of that. These are eyewitnesses. And John wants you to understand, this is not just some cunningly devised fable that's been made up. We are eyewitnesses to these things. And we want to share it with you. So he spent the rest of his life, John spent the rest of his life writing down the eyewitness that he had as, as a young man. Watching Christ walk the earth for three years and then be crucified and resurrect and walk on the earth for 40 days before he was ascended up into heaven. He spent the rest of his life and it cost him his life to write this stuff down. You know, as, as we talk about, you know, him writing Revelation, he did that because he was in exile on the Isle of Patmos because of these things, mm -hmm. because he wrote these things down. They were like, you are insane. Mm -hmm. You're crazy. But yet it's lasted for over 2,000 years.